Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. And welcome to the Heater Podcast, the pre-Turkey edition, as we uh, get ready for the holiday season to kick off here this week, uh, and all of the uh, traditions that go with it, all of the uh, uh, favorite dishes and concoctions and everything that goes there. Uh, for me, it's always the three S: family, food, and football. Uh, you always get those uh, uh, together. A little bit of church sprinkled in there too, uh, but that's uh, things to look forward to. But uh, we're at that time of year when, when baseball is would love to have uh, a little bit on the menu, uh, and there's some free agents that would love to, for some uh, some nice dishes to be thrown their way, some recipes with millions of bucks attached to them. Uh, some have been. There's mm-hmm. been some good signings uh, this week. Uh, awards have uh, to kind of complete this past year to put it all uh, to bed. Uh, awards have been done uh, for uh, for that. We'll take a look at those. Uh, and we'll do a small uh, primer on the, the the really fun stuff, right? We're going to talk uh, labor negotiations <laughs> and uh, unions and owners and uh, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. So all that coming up here. Uh, but first, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn for all of your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice and Thanksgiving festivities. Uh, come hungry, leave happy. We have our holiday edition uh, of the uh, things taking place at the popcorn wagon, and why don't you give us an update on where things stand? I have made a lot of popcorn the last few days getting ready <laughs> for this, so cheese corn's made, caramel corn's made, some of the totes are made, so not this week because of Thanksgiving. We will not be doing it, but the following week, so it'd be December 3rd and December 4th out of our house for... Popcorn Palooza! Yeah, out of our house for this time. We have a lot of pre-orders. If you still want to get in, you got to... Hit up the Facebook page soon, and and uh, then we'll give you a number. My dad is will send you a number through Facebook, and just tell us the number when you show up, and we'll bring it to the car. But I'd love to. St- a lot of people like to sit and chat. Like I, I need to need you to to clear out of the driveway because we're gonna have a lot of people coming in and out. So I'm not telling people this t- to sound rude, but just be aware that I'm gonna be kind of short with some people. I think so. We want to see you, but do not expect to sit and talk with us for a long time. We have a lot of work to do. Brevity is the name of the game. Yeah. Do a, a meet and greet and uh, and and keep her moving mm-hmm. uh, as the Wisconsin. I, I wish you all me- happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas, but uh, might not be a whole lot more than that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it'll be. I got a lot of orders. I uh, delivered some today. Some people have started to come get it, and they seem happy. That's good. So if you wanted to get in on this, uh, and you're kind of booked on the the two days of the weekend there's uh some other ways of, of making it work if you if you let us know that you need it in advance we at least by now we can we can get it to you a little bit early just don't don't plan on thanksgiving or like the day or two before or after you give us a little bit of time after that we can we can get it to you earlier than that though but not over the holiday i will be enjoying my time at chula vista you are having company yeah looking forward to uh visiting with some uh uh Friends and uh, getting a chance to, uh, I have perfected my roasted turkey nice. uh, uh, recipe. What's your go-to side? What is your go-to Thanksgiving side? Because I feel like that's the debate. Everybody eats the turkey. What's the go-to side? Yeah, that uh, I, I need at least two. Okay, uh, so it's I need 
the right stuffing. I can't do uh, like stove top anymore. I can't. Oh. I, I need actual homemade good stuffing. Stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. Uh, and uh, and then green bean casserole. <laughs> Dying so, over here. That is the those, grossest those thing I've learned. I hate green bean casserole. <laughs> just give me the stuffing. And I'm like, I'm probably like the southern guy like you. I'm just give me some mac and cheese, man. Like uh, that's a southern see, thing. Now but. another southern one would be like a sweet potato casserole. I take a sweet potato casserole yeah. all day over anything green bean. I yeah. can't stand green bean casserole. Give me green beans. Give me cream and mushroom. Put them together, and it tastes like vomit. Sorry, <laughs> I pretty much alienated half our like anybody from Wisconsin. I feel but, like I just alienated them. Everyone's passionate though about their favorite <laughs> side dish, right? Like, and there's the ones that you like and the ones that you hate, and there really is no middle ground. Uh, on that there. So uh, for anyone who's uh, preparing for your uh, favorite dishes this week, uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving mm-hmm. along with it. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting the, r- the rotisserie out and uh, and having some fun on Thanksgiving morning. Well, we know the real MVP is always turkey. So let's talk some baseball MVPs Ooh, here. Let's segue. Let's so we announced a couple this week. We, we called the AL MVP months ago. That one... Although Vlad, you had a great year, and Marcus Simeon had a great year, and Salvador Perez had a great year, Shohei Otani did something that has not been seen in ever. So uh, his MVP award was all but guaranteed, and I believe he was unanimous. It was unanimous, yep. So everybody agrees, Shohei Otani, you're the new face of baseball. Congratulations to you. I have a feeling it's very possible this will not be your only MVP award, but next year you get to compete with the own player on your own team. So we'll see how that works, hopefully. Like I would, Mike Trout, get healthy. We want to see you back. The NL MVP was a little more surprising. Uh, I don't disagree with it. I saw a lot of people are like, oh, how can you not give it Fernando Tatis? Like, yeah, he, he was good. I, I don't get it. But Bryce Harper won, and it's a second MVP. And yeah. I said, like, quietly, he's paying out that contract. Like, he is the most underappreciated superstar yes. in this game because he came up with Mike Trout, and he's not Mike Trout. Like, Mike Trout is a generational talent. Bryce Harper is trending to be a Hall of Famer, too, in his own right. But he's just overshadowed by the fact that he's not Mike Trout. I would agree with that. And I, I think the uh, the uh, a quiet Hall of Fame uh, career being put together. Uh, and part of it is just due to the, due to the dysfunction of the team that he's on uh, to a lesser extent uh, than what is happening with Mike Trout. Hmm. Uh, but you have someone who has, I think what hurt was initially he had the injuries, right? The, the first season there, uh, it, it underwhelmed. Uh, and, and then so once you have that, it's hard to shake first impressions, even if you have now performed well since then. And he has, he has lived up to that contract, uh, which considering the money he w- was getting, that's always going to be hard to do. He has done that to this point. Uh, and, uh, yeah, props to him for a very good MVP season. Led the league in doubles this year, 35 home runs, stole 13 bases, hit 309, led the league in slugging, OPS a 179, OPS plus. Yeah, very deserving. This is his second MVP award. Remember, he got the first one, oh man, six years ago already. It's been six years since he was a national at 22 where he got his first one. But two MVPs and a rookie of the year already at 28 with... 267 home runs, yeah, I, I, it's trending to be a Hall of Fame career, and congratulations to Bryce Harper. I think he deserved it. Tatis would have gotten it if uh, health healthy and, 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 yep. and Padres winning. Yep. Yeah, it, sir, you could make the case for Fernando Tatis, I th- I th- but I'm not going to sit and say that Mike Trout or Bryce Harper didn't deserve it either. But the AL, Cy Young was pretty much decided, and we've mentioned it many times. I've ripped on Robbie Ray, but, yeah, he was deserving. Robbie Ray got the Cy Young award. Now it's just a matter of what type of a contract does he turn it into. I think we... 
both think it's going to be pretty profitable offseason for him here. And we're going to mention their team in a little bit here with a different move. So we'll see if it's back with the Blue Jays. But Robbie Ray, you took advantage of that one-year prove-a-deal. Couldn't have gone any better than that. And uh, one that I uh, got right, uh, preseason pick that actually went right was uh, uh, the NL Cy Young. The only one we got right was you picked Corbin Burns, and he went out and led the league in ERA and FIP, and I believe he led the league in ERA+. plus. So, yeah, it was uh, – remember, we're only a couple of years removed. When we first started doing this podcast, he had that 882 ERA. And I we said, were you know, trying is- to justify saying, <laughs> hey, this there's still a, a good you, player here you, under the hood. You don't give up – was it like four home runs per nine innings? Like he was so unlucky. And we said, you know, this is – he's really good. And last year we saw it. He finished, I think, top five, maybe fifth in Cy Young last year. But, yeah, this year, remember, he started the year off with that insane – 60-some strikeouts to no walk streak. And for the year, 234 strikeouts in 167 innings to only 34 walks. It was an incredible year. Not quite enough to the Brewers in the playoffs, but Corbin Corbin Burns very deserving. Uh, You could have certainly – I thought this was probably the closest race. I think it was very close in the voting, too. Zach Wheeler was right there. Max Scherzer made a nice effort, but – you can't say that Corbin Burns didn't deserve it. The only qualm that was there on him was just the the, innings. The innings. Uh, his production printing uh, was unparalleled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the same thing, the argument for like Fernando Tatis, right? It's about how many games played. Uh, so this was close with Burns, but he did enough. You get over 160, uh, and, and that really is the like an unofficial benchmark uh, that you need to hit in order to be considered. And his innings were so good uh, that even with less innings, uh, he performed uh, well uh, to do that. That's just... Because Zach Wheeler was so close, uh, here's another one. Like Philly, right? Mm-hmm. Just like Bryce Harper, right? Those huge contracts, they're working out for him, and they still miss the playoffs. Like, what else could this team do? Well, it, it's it's interesting. We look at that. Think of uh, you were like just a few votes away from having the uh, uh, MVP and Cy Young winner. Mm-hmm, that's what I'm saying. With those but huge then, contracts. But now go to the AL, uh, and you have Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon was uh, a finalist. So you almost had both on Toronto and mm-hmm. the same thing. So it's a team game. <laughs> it's the you can hit, and that's the challenge here. And again, props to the executives that are able to put this together. Uh, but you can hit uh, on those big moves. It's not enough. It's a team game. Uh, again, in the NBA, when you have less starters, uh, it goes to superstars is what drives that league. On a 25-man roster, yeah, if you have a Shohei Otani, if you have a Mike Trout, if you have a Bryce Harper, uh, all these things are very, very good, but you need more than that. It's not enough, uh, and there's too many examples of that. You have the Angels, you have the Blue Jays, you have the uh, the Philly. Uh, you need more uh, to that. So uh, just another, uh, this year was textbook on that example, both American League and National League. I think you might have sold yourself short. I think you might have predicted the arc of the year, too. I think you picked Randy or Rosarena. Yeah. I feel uh, like you probably got that one right, too, because I feel like... Those, those would be the two. Yeah, I think you might have got that one right, because Randy Arosa Randy Arena the last week, one rookie of the year, and it was a good year. Like, it was the year that I think we both said it was much more... Like, people were like, oh, did you remember last year's postseason? He wasn't hitting Hitting everything out of the park. Like, yeah. 2020, right? That's a, that's a good year. 2020, 274. Uh, he struck out 
a lot. Like the strikeout rate's pretty high, and and that's probably what he is. He's probably a twenty homer, twenty steal, two. I don't know what he hit. He two two seventy four, like two sixty to two eighty ish hitter, and going to do that for a while. Average defense, yeah. Uh, so again, uh, and across the board, does uh, does everything above average, mm-hmm. not at an elite level, uh, but above average. And so, and this is a. I, I, wins above replacement, three and a half, I think is what he ended up at. Give me a second. Uh, I, I'm not uh, remembering that completely offhand, but... Uh, 4.1 according to baseball yeah, yeah, reference. I like uh, the baseball reference one more now. So, uh, uh, a four uh, wins above replacement season. Uh, I don't think you can ask for much more out of a rookie. Unless you are going to be a superstar, that's a very good level to be at and an excellent building block for the Tampa Bay Rays. Same thing for Cincinnati too. So Jonathan yep. India, which was, this one was about a foregone conclusion for a while now for the Reds. He put a 3.9 more season together. So Rosarino went 2020. Uh, Jonathan India kind of out of nowhere went 21 home runs, 12 steals, 270. So playing a pretty well third base for them or second base, excuse me. He lost the third base. He played mostly second for him, but yeah, that one kind of came out of nowhere. But we, I, I'd heard of Jonathan India, right? He'd been a former top five pick, but he, we didn't really expect him to be with the team all year. He came up early, kind of hit a little bit of a rookie wall in May, but then, you know, the, the league made the adjustment. He adjusted back and yeah, they, they expect to have a good player that should bat lead off 376 on base percentage. Like, yeah, that's a top of the order hitter for a long time for Cincinnati. You'd think. Absolutely. We shall move on. So those are the big awards of the week. We have, we'll do the one part of news that is not a player news the Mets finally found their GM after striking out a few times. They got Billy Epler to be the GM of the Mets. Uh, Epler's career before this, I believe, was with the A's, or the, excuse me, the Angels. He was the GM of the Angels before that with the Yankees. I think he got to assistant GM with the Yankees. So still 46, pretty young. But, yeah, it's it's something, right? Like they needed somebody. And I saw somebody say like, Oh, this was their first choice. Like, no, it, it wasn't their first no. choice. You're at like choice four, but you have some that happens, right? Yeah. That, that's still a, it's more of the showing the Mets have a ways to go to be at the credibility level to be getting the, the top of the list or be having a, a fully attractional gig. Uh, and any, uh, not only from those that they wanted to offer it to, but those that wouldn't even consider it. That was the bigger concern within it. So you need to build up your reputation. Uh, but for Epler, here's his opportunity to to shine and do well. Uh, and uh, yeah, wish him the best of luck in trying to get a dysfunctional team to actually live up to its potential. And all that David Stearns, the Brewers GM, is someone that they've. I think that was probably the first choice that from everything we've heard, and the the Brewers said no and. His contract's up after this year. He's a New York guy, so we'll see. That yeah. Epler shouldn't get too comfortable <laughs> until he proves it because they could easily go in another direction uh, in another year. Now, that would have to be a very special candidate. I don't see them just tossing him to the curb for anyone, but, yeah, Stearns is someone they have eyed up, uh, and if he does become available and if he is interested within it, that's when you could have a shift in, in one year's time. Again, unless... You know, you get him to the playoffs, things look good. Yeah, Billy Epler is like, like win and, and keep a gig. He's the one who signed Shohei Otani to the Angels. So, like, he has shown success doing this. And we know 
we're told that the Mets will make it rain. We'll see what that means, but I'm sure they're going We've to spend that before. I'm sure we, they will spend some money this off season. Let's talk about teams that actually went out and spent money since last weekend. When we talked some big names, some small names, but that's okay. The first one was, I think last Monday. So we record on Sunday nights and it was Eduardo Rodriguez bright and early. He went out and he made the first signing of the year, five years, $77 million with the Detroit Tigers. And the more I looked through Eduardo Rodriguez's stats this past week, the more I really think it could be like a steal of a deal. He now becomes the old man of this pitching staff at 28. You know, you have the Matt Manning and eventually uh, Casey Mize and Spencer Turnbull will all be there along with him. And, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, I said at 28, he already has a top 10 Cy Young Award finish on his resume. He fits in their window of development, right? Spencer Torkelson should be here, I would think, this year. Riley Green should be here this year. Those are some of their big prospect bats. Every number he posted last year was really good except the ERA. Like, he had a career-high K per nine at 10.5, a career-low walk per nine at 268. The BABIP was a career-high 363, and the strand late was a career-low 68%. Those numbers normalize, and you're likely to see like a mid threes ERA, then another ERA over four. And as bad as he was last year, he posted a three point eight WAR according to FanGraphs. Like I, I love the signing, actually. Well, and again, looking under the hood, uh, I'm a big fan of, of XFIP uh, for being able to see what's true talent level. That's uh, uh, not the ballpark uh, takeaway. Uh, the unlucky nature of it. Looking at more of, of the at metrics that you can bank on more moving forward. Because uh, again, what, what do we have here? Like you mentioned some of the, the challenges that are there. Uh, I was going back to his uh, home run rate. I was curious about. That's actually the one thing that wasn't terrible. It was the strand rate that really got him. When you yeah. get somebody on base and they come around at sixty eight percent of their thirty two percent of the time, that's that's tough. That that should not be that high. But with an ERA of four point seven four, his xFIP was three point four three. Is actually the lowest of his career. Uh, so there, there is. He was better than what uh, his ERA showed, which is what you want to see uh, uh, from a, a guy that you're going to signing for five years. If you go back to a 2018, he's from uh, his highest is, is 2019 at 4.10, but he has been under that for the three of the last four seasons. Uh, these are numbers, and, and he produced an excellent year by the advanced metrics. Uh, he was a 3.7 wins above replacement in 2019. He was 3.8 in 2021. So I, you're getting a mid-rotation starter uh, at solid rates. I don't I don't view this one as an overpay. Mm-hmm. Uh, at his age, nope. lefty, where his stuff is at, where he's at, it's the right type of signing to give a uh, a good veteran who also great character guy, uh, someone who. Uh, overcoming some of the adversity that, that he's dealt with from a physical standpoint in the midst of everything that's gone on in the last couple of years uh, to uh, coming out and performing well, he's going to help a young rotation learn how to be a major leaguer, uh, how to overcome adversity, how to take the next step in their development. Uh, it's a great signing for Detroit. It's all part of their next building blocks. We'll see how much more uh, they make it rain. Uh, from a shortstop perspective, we'll see which one ends up there. Uh, but I love the signing. Uh, as for the Red Sox, remember they did send him the qualifying offer of $18.4 million. Obviously, he rejected that. So he they will get a compensatory draft pick uh, from back in exchange for the fact they lost him because that is why you send out the qualifying offer is if they leave, you get something back in return. 
the a small move of the week, but I think an impactful move was Manny Pena, who I just assumed would resign with the Brewers because he's kept signing one-year deals to be their backup catcher for a long time. But he took a two-year, $8 million deal with the Braves. That's a really good contract for a backup catcher. Mm-hmm. And he's a defensive specialist more than anything when you're really digging the stats. But that being said, Travis Darnold is far from a beacon of health. He missed a substantial portion of this season. and As he does almost every yeah. year. And Manny Pena, like, it's not the type of signing that will get a ton of fanfare, but... The Braves are the defending champs for a reason, and barring like, up like they don't need huge upgrades. You just want to upgrade on the margins. You keep your core, right? You find a way to re-sign Freddie Freeman, who we hear that more teams are interested than maybe it's we been thought. Another week without yeah. any consistent movement. It's at some point you're going to offend this guy, like, unless this is all. Unless there's things we don't know where he's fine. He's waiting for this. That is, hey, let's talk about this in a little bit. Yeah, I, I've made my rant on that before. Yeah. This should have been done uh, yesterday. But if if they resign him, like this is the type, like they they don't need Manny Pena for his offense. This is the type of small move. Then you build around that core. The team is really good. Manny Pena is a really solid defensive catcher. I I, lo- I thought this was a great signing too. You need I, we just we were just talking about this, right? You need depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the star power. These little moves are big moves as you go through a 162 game season. As people get hurt, you need to be able to plug and play and next man up. Uh, that only happens if you have the next man up. Uh, and we talk about the teams that uh, have not been able to do that, the Angels being uh, a yes. part of it there. like These are the depth signings. This is what smart teams do. They keep them humming throughout the year uh, and uh, put, you, put yourself in a position to succeed in the postseason. The longest and largest by total contract of the week goes to Jose Barrios getting an extension with the Blue Jays. So... Seven years, $140 million to stay with Toronto. I believe he was a free agent coming up after this season. Yeah, and this well, would almost assuredly say that they're only going to be able to keep one of Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon. Right? Is that what you think? You think they can still afford both of them on top of the big extension? It, it really depends how far the Robbie Ray contract goes. Uh, I think right now they want the offense. I think they want Marcus Simeon. Uh, he's going to be at a lesser rate, but it... The question becomes, uh, what's their their level? Uh, because it's not just these signings. Because can they afford all three? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But how do those long term contracts affect when you're uh, rising stars? When Vlad needs his new deal, uh, when that comes, you have a lot of of y- a young core that's cheap now. So unless you are doing uh, front loaded contracts. Uh, to structure this uh, together, that's the only way you could truly pull off all three, uh, factoring everything in into it. Uh, but, yeah, I think Guts says keep one, not both. Well, this is what I have about Barrios. He, he doesn't have the ceiling of Robbie Ray, right? But he has the much safer floor. So he's had between a 352 and a 4 ERA every season of his career. With the offense that we expect Toronto to put out there, you mentioned Vlad and Bo Bichette and George Springer, right? Like, offense galore. If you have a 3-5 to a 4-year floor for the majority of that contract, you're going to win a lot of games, right? Compared to some of the one-year deals we saw this week, it also like $20 million a year for a guy who's pretty much a rock-solid number two starter. Like, I, that's a good deal, I think. Yeah, you look at uh, uh, his last two full seasons, so that you're looking at 2019 and 2021. Four wins above replacement. He's above that. Uh, and uh, over three in the previous season, though. So he's his numbers are all consistent uh, uh, career-wise. Uh, and, yeah, you know, it's a 
it's a good signing. I guess here's the question for you. Do you see anyone else surpassing uh, a seven-year deal uh, in in free agency here? As a pitcher? Yes, I say first start pitcher. I think there might be one, maybe two hitters that could go above that. But as mm. a pitcher, is there anyone that gets more than the Barrios contract? Probably not. No. Seven years. I'm thinking of like the big ones. You got Kevin Gaussman. I don't think you're giving him a seven year deal. Not a 31. Nope. And you're not giving, I would not give Robbie Ray a seven year deal. So I don't, that's probably yeah, the longest term deal that you're going to see for a pitcher. Uh, as for a hitter, yeah, probably Seegers and Carlos Correa's will probably sniff nine, 10 years. But other than that, like, I probably wouldn't give Trevor Story that long of a deal. Uh, Freddie Freeman's not going to get that long of a deal. He's too old. So, no, it's I mean, probably it's, only a couple. It's almost unheard of. I'm trying to go back to previous offseason. It's almost unheard of to get a seven-year deal uh, for, for a pitcher that is not not only a bona fide ace, but like Cy Young level. Like Garrett Cole got that type of deal. Who I, Seven years for with pitcher volatility. I'm trying to think back to what Steven Strasburg's was because like that's the that's when your deal's – that's a bad version of the deal, right? Yep. I think his was about that long. Okay, let's see if I find this. Yeah, he got 2020 to 2026, so that's six years, right? And that is a $245 million deal that the Nationals are paying him. So that is what can happen to this deal. Now, Jose Brios is not nearly the and injury no, no, risk no that Steven Strasburg concerns. is, right? Uh, the Red Sox are pay, had the David Price deal, right? That's a, that's a dangerous deal, right? David Price, by the end of that deal, was will give you – LA, you can have David Price, just send us back some players, right? That, that's where that one came into. So long-term deals for pitchers are always risky. Jose Barrios is at uh, 192 innings, 200 innings, 192 innings in his last three full seasons. He's rock solid. He's, he, he's your workhorse, again, yeah. uh, and a, an above-average mill rotation guy. And with that offense, that's all you need. Now, the upside shot here went to the team that we've said for three, since we started doing this podcast, needs pitching. So they took their one-year, let's shoot for the stars deal. And they signed, the new, sorry, I should mention, it's the Los Angeles Angels. That's who we've been talking about for years, needs good pitching. And they made a shot this year, one year, $21 million to Noah Syndergaard. So there are worst risks you can take when you look at Noah Syndergaard. Now, we've only seen four seasons, and one of those was 30 innings. But every year, he's had a 325 ERA less. He's extremely injury prone. Even his healthy seasons, he's pitched 150, 183, 154. He did have 197 innings. Uh, the last two years combined, he's pitched two innings, and that was the end of last season. You have to be worried about the innings. You go back to last week, I said, are we worried? His steamer projection on Fantrax is 172 innings. And I can tell you that if we lived in a state where betting was legal and that was the over-under, I would hammer the under on 172 innings. Without question. If he gets uh, 150 again. That's what I was saying. That's the goal. What are you actually hoping to get from him with this contract? 150 innings. Like if you got that's that, it. I think it's like, I think 135 is the most like reasonable. 150, you're happy. If he got 172, I'd be amazed. For what they are paying him, Whatever you're getting, you want those to be extremely effective innings. Because you're at 30 starts, five innings apiece. There's mm-hmm. your 150. Uh, that's without any IL stints. Uh, and and could you get more if you actually make the playoffs? Yeah, but I think you would factor in at least one or two uh, IL stints in there where you're still looking at 150, uh, even in a best-case scenario like going into the postseason, 160 innings. Like it's It's not... For someone who's coming off this, who has durability issues, 
to go up that many innings is, is also just a risk. Now, again, you can say that's someone else's risk. You're only doing a one-year deal, but, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect more than 150 here. Uh, this is the... Uh, this will lead into another uh, segue uh, to another pitcher I'll talk about as part of this who I see being moved as a result. This deal clinched it. Uh, $21 million. Here's the thing. Here's the Steven Strasburg pick without the Steven Strasburg six-year deal. That's what you're, you're getting someone with that type of impact yeah. and possibility, but you're only on the hook for one year. So, yeah, give it a shot. Uh, this is the, the a high upside pick for a high price, but no long-term uh, ex, uh, uh, putting yourself out there uh, for that. So I, I don't mind this deal at all. No. Some were trying to to go uh, like criticize this. and like, it's only, what, $2 million more than what the qualifying offer was that the Mets gave him? So like, it, what's the difference here? It's a, it's a good deal. It can't be the end of what they do, though, right? Like, Noah Syndergaard is an awesome risk. Like, you want to take one year on Noah Syndergaard Angels. We've been telling you for years that you need a good starting pitcher. He could be, he could go back to being Noah Syndergaard, and that would be great for you. But you can't stop with one. They need something else still. You agree with that? One I, more starting pitcher? I, I do. I do wonder if, if that, how much more money do they got? Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, yeah, would I love uh, Marcus Stroman? Uh, yeah, like, uh, that would you've that taken would your high thing. upside shot. Now you need a safe something. I, I don't. Maybe Marcus Stroman would be great. I'm not even saying it has to be that high end, but someone who you can rely on for some innings. Because I, I love Noah Syndergaard. I think he's great. I know that he relied on extreme velocity and coming off of a the two years off, basically. Like, how much is he going to throw? We'll we'll see. It, it'll be. I'm pulling for you, Noah Syndergaard. I loved you for a lot of time in New York. So. So let me get to the pitcher that okay, I think is I now on the now. move okay. as a result of this. Because mm-hmm. even after coming off injury, the best case scenario was 150 innings, right? That's what you're paying That's what, 20, yeah. 21, 22 million dollars for, right? Mm-hmm. The Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> yep, I was wondering if that to where you're going. <laughs> are facing a conundrum of paying Tyler Glass now. Yep. Uh, money this year to not play. And one more arbitration year where that's going to go up even more. So you're looking at maybe 15 million bucks that you're going to have to invest in him to, at best, get 150 innings mm-hmm. in 2023. Yep. That is that is an accurate statement. I would agree with that statement. You have Cy Young level potential when healthy. Uh, I don't think he has quite the same injury issues uh, as uh, Syndergaard, but, but he has been on IL stints. He has his own. With this. So... Uh, there is trade value. They tried to move him at the uh, the uh, the trading deadline. There was a the talk of him and Kevin Kiermaier to the Cubs as a package mm-hmm. deal uh, within that. Uh, I do believe he gets moved because uh, I think a team like the Mets or a team like the Angels, one of these teams is going to uh, grab that for a future move uh, that for them with deeper pockets, they're going to say it's worth the risk because of the Cy Young potential because it's still going to be less than what you're paying for Syndergaard. Uh, yeah. For the same, for the ex- the exact same type of scenario, I was gonna. I wonder about okay, so Clayton Kershaw didn't resign with the Dodgers. I think his arm is bad too. I think that that's you're gonna pay a guy like Clayton Kershaw a two year deal. He's not going to pitch much this year, and then you get the next year for him. So it's it's that type of thing. So Tyler Glass now's market is limited by the fact that. There are so many teams that are not willing. We saw the the Padres do it last year with Mike Clevenger, right? They knew he wasn't going to pitch for him. You have to be willing to say we're not getting a year out of him, but we're pay, playing for the next year. So then you had to be thinking like, okay, well, who's playing for who's playing for next year, right? So Seattle, like 
Seattle could make a move like that, but you also got to realize that you got to pay him soon too. And Seattle's not paying him what if he comes back and he puts together now we have seen him have one 100 inning season, right? Like he just has not done it. So if you're going to pay him a big contract, you got to be really like the Dodgers who have can throw money at anything, right? Could the Dodgers make a move for Tyler glass now and say, okay, Tyler glass. Now you don't have to pitch this year. We don't need you. We already are paying a bajillion dollars to Trevor Bauer. He's not going to pitch for us probably. So yeah. And, and when he's out there as good as stuff as anybody in the league, right? 15 strikeouts per nine innings almost at times. Like, I think he moves. I also think he'll move this offseason. I don't think he'll pitch next year. You I, mentioned I, the Cubs. The, the Cubs make sense because they're in the rebuild. They're so far into this rebuild now that do they have an ace? N- no, not really. They moved you Darvish last year, right? Remember, remember they moved you yeah. Darvish last year, so that was the start of this. Whoever it is, you have to feel confident that you can sign him to s- – you don't want to only get this for one year. Like It depends what you're giving up, but I wouldn't think you only want to deal with a one-year deal on this. I could see someone doing a one year, and then as long as they have deep enough pockets to say, "Hey, we could look look at a long term extension." We have the, we have the financial capability of doing it because you're also not going to be giving up a huge return. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not getting a top one hundred prospect for him. No, no. Uh, so you're gonna, you're going to give up something useful, but it's not going to be. Uh, he's not fetching like what Jose Barrios what about got. Houston, Houston is one that makes sense uh, as far as uh, a team that is creative that way that mm-hmm. looks for those types of things. But the Rays rarely trade to a competitor that way. The team that's on my mind, Philadelphia. That that makes sense as a uh, type of move that works for later. Uh, no, it doesn't help anything now. But you get, again, $15 million bucks is what you're investing in two seasons to get one season of 150 innings. That's the goal. Uh, putting that with Zach Wheeler. Uh, and some of the stuff that's there. And and who knows what, uh, from injury things to end of contract stuff within it, like that, that could make a lot of sense. Uh, There's a few different ways uh, that could go, but I believe a big market team, uh, whether it's the Dodgers, uh, the Mets, the Phillies, uh, even the Braves, uh, like those are the types of things that, that, those are the types of teams that would make a move like that. Uh, We'll see what happens. But that's the one, as soon as the Syndergaard came out, that someone was willing to pay 22 million bucks, uh, for one year and looking at 150 innings, that means already what Tyler Glasnow is going to make in the next two years uh, and guarantees that someone is willing to pay that and then some. So I think he gets moved. Do you want to go to your team's trade they did make or you want to go to the other big contracts signed by a pitcher for one year? Let's uh, let's wrap up with the other trade with the, the Rays, and that's uh, a guy that I'll be rooting for no matter what jersey he puts on. Uh, Brent Honeywell uh, traded uh, and as Rule 5 uh, rosters needed to be set as far as who was going to be fully on your 40-man roster, uh, raise uh, with their depth. Uh, the challenge always becomes each year, what, who can you keep, who can you not? Uh, and they're stuck with a bunch of players that are going to need to be on the IL, uh, but the way the baseball rules go, you, all those people have to serve spots even if they're not going to be uh, pitching on the team this next year. So a guy like this becomes uh, expendable. Brent Honeywell, former second-round pick, screwball pitcher, has dealt with a ton of arm injuries since 2015. Uh, he was healthy this last year. That was accomplishment number one. His stuff wasn't as crisp as it has been in the past. But it was decent real, at AAA, though. Yeah, I he, back, was he was decent, absolutely AAA. decent. And he just needs a, a chance to get some innings underneath him, just a chance to, to go, and that wasn't going to happen in Tampa Bay. I Oakland think, is going to have yeah, room. I was going to say, it's a good spot for him. What we've heard, like, it's a very much a move, a, a move that Billy Bean would have made, right? Like, 
it's a risk, but it's got a lot of upside too. Like you mentioned, and it was just cash. It yeah. was cash consideration. I think mean, that's the only disappointment as a Rays fan is you wish you could have gotten got more, something right? for him. But again, you understand the risk that's involved with it. Uh, we hear that, that it wasn't going to happen. We hear the A's are willing to move some of their veteran starting pitchers. We've heard Chris Bassett and Frankie Montas. And if they do, there's a chance that Honeywell could come out of spring training. If he puts a nice spring together, he might start the year in the rotation. And like you said, he's someone that you want to cheer for as much injury problems as he's had, as many injury problems as he's had. He would not surprise me if he's more of like a middle to back end rotation guy coming up mm-hmm. ERA of four or slightly above. Uh, and I can give you 150 innings. I think that's well within reason for what he's capable of doing, and he is upside for more. Let's talk the other massive one-year pitching contract of the week. Justin Verlander. Remember, they offered him the qualifying offer, and he said, nope, 18.6, forget that. Give me $25 million for one year. So when I saw this contract, I messaged my friend Jared. I think Jared listens. Is this really a contract that a soon-to-be 39-year-old who hasn't pitched in two seasons gets? Because... Look, when we last saw Justin Verlander pitch, he was the best pitcher in baseball, right? He won mm-hmm. 21 games. He led the league in innings, whip, struck out 300, and won the AL Cy Young Award. That's 2019. He is a bona fide Hall of Famer, and he could absolutely prove me wrong. But as with Syndergaard, oh, let's talk innings here. Like, Justin Verlander is 39 years old. He is projected for 160 innings. When he's healthy, he is eight innings his whole career. I Absolutely, he will do that. However, once again, I'll take the under on 160 innings, even though he's Justin Verlander. Per inning, he could be very good. But they have to at least limit his innings early. Like, Houston wants those good innings at the end. It it definitely will help the Astros, but I just... He could come out in spring training and be throwing 98 and prove me wrong because he is Justin Verlander. He also could come out and not be be marginally not as good of a pitcher as he was, and suddenly $25 million for one year, you're getting a... 380 RA like good I don't I just would not pay that much money for one year <laughs> I'm actually going to take the over on that one uh and you ready the reason why I uh, is because I think even if he starts out five innings at the beginning first half of the year second half of the year he's doing six seven eight innings you're, like, you're, gonna, you're back in on Justin Verlander being Justin Verlander I, I liken it to John Smoltz. Okay. Uh, that's the best comparison I can make to a guy that he's just the bulldog going to go out there. He's going to throw innings. I, I don't think his stuff is gone, uh, uh, but you don't know. There's no way of proving until spring he's actually out gonna there Spring training is going to be a lot it. to show for Justin. Uh, I want to see Justin Verlander in spring training. But he's the guy, just the way his build, uh, mm-hmm. the way he his track record is. Uh, someone who has been very healthy by and large. This was just the, the big... At some point, it comes for every pitcher. It's rare to get through a career without needing uh, the type of surgery that he's had here. Uh, and it is the type of surgery that can or has in the past made people better. It's made them lose their control at the same time. Uh, so that's that's the $25 million question. Uh, but for what his track record is, I'm still buying him at 39. So does it solidify the A's at the top of... They just walked on winning the American League. Does this solidify their position back towards the top again? Even if they lose Carlos Correa. They didn't have Justin yeah. Verlander this year. The, or the Excuse me, the Astros. I said the A's. Yeah. Yes, because he, he's the veteran at the top that uh, Granke couldn't quite be anymore. I think Verlander can be, but otherwise you end up with another Granke. I mean, that's the question that you're at for a one-year uh, risk. But it, it's another one of those trying to extend that window one more year. Houston is trying to prolong because 
they're not adding major yet. Now we'll see what they do. We'll see who they who they replace with Carlos Correa, because uh, that's gonna going to be key. Uh, but they have been excellent at just adding one more year uh, to that veteran window, and I want to give them credit for that because it's not as easy as it looks on paper. These windows can close hard, despite people thinking, "Oh, here's your your full like dynasty as far as uh, consistently competitive or pennants." Uh, getting to the World Series, uh, it's, it sounds easier than what it actually is to accomplish. Guys get old fast, injuries happen, performance goes down. It's hard to sustain that for so long. And they have lost big talent uh, over the years, from Garrett Cole to uh, George Springer. Like They have lost big guys uh, in this process. Uh, Verlander going down for injury uh, within it. Like They have suffered huge losses. Uh, as part of this, and they've kept it going. And I think this is meant to be just one more keeping the window open. In that context, I like the deal. Okay. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about one I got guy. the one right in the check, so it's no, easier no, for yeah, me to like it. It's easier, right? Yeah. Uh, let's talk about one guy who did accept the qualifying offer. One year, $18.6 million to stay with the San Francisco Giants. We both thought this one was likely. Brandon Belt accepted his qualifying offer uh, He's more valuable, I think, to San Francisco than he might be elsewhere, especially with the retirement of Buster Posey. Uh, just his off-field slash on-field presence. He did have a career-high best offensive season last year. Massive spike in home runs. He hit 29 in only 91 games, a career-high slugging percentage. I he Remember, they missed him in the playoffs. He broke his thumb, I think, or maybe it was his hand. I think it was his thumb. And I think so. that hurt them, but... I expect more of the same coming out of Brandon Belt this year, which is a part-time player who because they platoon a lot of their guys, right? Like, not that's that's not a slight to Brandon Belt. That's just the way they do it. And when he's out there, a very solid, above-average player. Yeah, he's... That one made sense for the, to accept the qualifying offer. Uh, and uh, it also made sense for the Giants. And you're trying to, you're trying to get with a, a lot of uh, uh, potential free agents, big free agents, uh, uh, trying to at least get a couple things solidified where you can to move on. I think it's a solid uh, move for the for the Giants as well as a Brandon Belt, and we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I, as a, you're another small market uh, baseball fan, so this becomes a question that I'm going to throw at you. And uh, you can tell if you want to know what the economic state of baseball is. Eighteen million dollars qualifying offer. There were a lot of qualifying offers made above average for the year. Mm-hmm. Only one accepted. Mm-hmm. Everyone else says they can get more yep. than $18 million. It's going to be an and, interesting offseason. <laughs> and not, uh, they're like, these are good players, but not great players. And so if you're saying, yeah, I can get more than that, not confident. And again, you, you pay an agent good money, to survey that market and feel confident that I'm not, this isn't going to backfire on me. You're confident you're getting more than 18. Yeah. I, what I, does this say? Not only for the baseball's economic state. Uh, so again, this is why, why are you like, we'll talk about it in just a little bit yeah. as far as the lockout goes. Why are you, if, if you're, if the money's this good, what are you doing? Uh, so that that's number one or saying that you, you need desperately more, that you're being uh, grossly screwed over with the previous deal if you're this confident you're getting more than 18. So that's number one. But my my bigger question for a small market fan, uh, at eight, 
you're talking if you do get to a hundred million dollar payroll, that's twenty percent on one player that's not even a star. Nope. No, 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 no. How are you trying to improve your team in free agency? How does this work for small market teams? And I'm not trying to say lamenting the billionaires not having enough money, but the point is, is from a fan perspective, if this is now the cost in free agency, how does this all go together? That is a great question that... It's hard when I like, okay, I just said, I think Justin Verlander got overpaid. Like Justin Verlander has a track record. I said, he's a hall of fame pitcher. Like, could he show me up? Sure. Brandon belt is not a hall of fame baseball player. $18.6 million. He is not a hall of fame baseball player. And a hall of famer getting 25 makes sense. A part-time player getting 18, <laughs> a perennial injured pitcher who is potential, but has never like fully put it together. Getting 22. Like these are numbers that these guys used to get half of that. Yep. The contracts are getting kind of out of control. Uh, I'll be interested. I don't know where it started, right? Like baseball can print money. They, they can make money. They, they've made a ton of money. I don't know where the contracts got so extremely high that it, it is extreme. Like your team does it, right? They compete. We're at I don't know how many years in a row they've made the playoffs. The Brewers have made it three years in a row. It, it's testament to how good their GMs are. Like it's a testament to how good they are at the player development, how good they are at managing their team. But you see how hard it is for a small market team to rebuild. Like for all the good years the Rays have, or the last few years of the Brewers, like there is the continued mediocrity of a team like, like well, Arizona, right? Arizona has kind of been in this, they, they've won a world series, right? They did it, but that's 20 years ago now with Randy Johnson, I think so. And it's been a lot of mediocrity and it, it can be hard. We saw Houston had to tear it down. Now Houston has a bigger pocket. Like Houston's not a small market necessarily, but we saw, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever, when they got the first pick with Carlos Correa and started this rebuild. And you need to hit on some of those young things. That's what the Cubs did. It, it can work, but now when the big market teams start doing it with Chicago and Houston, and they start doing these big teardowns, and then they have all those cheap contracts, and they can start paying these huge contracts out, it, it makes it even harder. Because here's my question for, for a Brewers fan. Okay. Uh, you, you have the... Uh, the core that's coming up, you need a new contract for Corbin Burns. You need a new contract for Woodruff. Like these are the guys that are getting there. And if, again, if Noah Syndergaard is getting twenty-two, what are these guys going to get? And so again, not only trying to keep, like, it's hard enough keeping one, but it's near impossible for a small market team to keep two. So if this is the going rate uh, for that, uh, now again, we don't know for sure what the, what the revenues are. I mean, yes, payrolls are going above. A hundred million, and now is more of what's in term of what income is coming in. Is it? Are you looking at more of a hundred and fifty million dollar payroll uh, for these teams? But yeah, but with uh, the money that's coming into baseball, things are doing well financially. Baseball is as as strong as it has ever been. I uh, just don't but, get along. Well, well, there's that, and there's also again, I, my my problem is looking at the next one. I, this deal is going to get signed, and we'll talk labor in a second, but. My concern is if they if they do this if they do this wrong, because this is what eventually happened back. This is history potentially repeating itself. This is what happened back in the nineties. That it the reason why you had stuff happen besides a a contract running out in the middle of a year, which is absolutely stupid. Whoever designed that one, uh, but number two, you had owners. You had the haves and have nots, even in ownership. So that was fractured. You had small market teams not thinking that anything was going on. Big market teams that didn't care. 
within it. Then you had the players wanting their side of it. It was too much of a mess. There was too much animosity, and people were convinced we need to break it before it can ever be fixed. And that's exactly what they did, and they came razor thin to the ruining the whole thing. That's not going to happen this time. Unless something weird like fully happens, if they go down the rabbit hole way too far. But my concern is the next one, because if you start getting this disparity between uh, the top of the, uh, uh, the owners where, there's no, where they're trying to eliminate the luxury tax to keep it in check, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have uh, small market teams that aren't spending anywhere near this, guilty on them for not spending what, uh, what they need to spend, as well as all the uh, like payroll skyrocketing so much that it goes beyond the means of a small market team. If the competitive balance gets too bad... Uh, you won't have small small market teams able to compete the way they are right now. And that's the concern where you will lead to a full-on, you'll have another 94 uh, strike situation. Not this deal, but the next one. If these go five years, if you don't do this one right, you will have too many issues in the next one that you'll lead to a, you'll lead to a full strike and uh, and losing games. Yeah. I don't mean I to do so. doom and gloom no, uh, 11th hour stuff uh, on that, but I, I don't like... Uh, the the, the trajectory <laughs> of this for as far as, again, not this deal, but the next one, because if you do enough where you, you make most people happy, but you, you ignore the small market owners in this, uh, if you make this deal too much for the players, the players are going to get more. It's just how much more. That's the true question in all this. If too much goes that way, big market teams can absorb it. Small market cannot. And if you have that really go too bad. That's what led to the 94 strike and the reason why we couldn't come to a deal at that time. So as a small market fan, I see this and that's what gives me pause overall, both from looking at where the economic drive is right now for an $18 million, not even getting you uh, a barely an above average player. Uh, how does that fit within it? The LA, they print money, they do their own stuff there. That's not going to be a big deal for teams like uh, Oakland or the Brewers or the Rays or the Reds and the teams that have been looking at this, uh, that's the challenge. Baseball has been fun because you've had people of all different teams have a shot. They can blow their shot within it, but all teams do have a shot to make this work and at least a decent window, right? You can you can put together a five-year window and a 10-year stretch. Sure, yeah. But if, if the economics change too much in that, that's going to be lower and it's going to ruin the competitive nature of the game. I hope not. The Brewers didn't I make want a to sign. be wrong. I know. I know you do. We'll talk we'll talk this stuff in a second. Yeah. The Brewers did make one signing today. Uh, I mentioned they lost Manny Pena as their backup catcher, so they needed a backup catcher. They signed a one year, just shy of two million dollar contract with Pedro Severino. He will the twenty eight year old will be the backup catcher. He's always been a strong offensive catcher. Uh, with Baltimore. We've seen him put together some pretty nice seasons. Last year it was two forty eight with eleven home runs. And about 400 plate appearances. Him and Narvaez will likely split duties behind the plate for Milwaukee. So don't have to worry about a backup catcher. Uh, just a quick mention of I have four names on here that all got DFA'd yeah. this week. Williams Ostadio, the rotund catcher slash third baseman that the Twins have played with for a few years, is now a free agent. Nico Goodrum, Detroit has all these players coming in. He was released, so he is a free agent. Rugnet Odor, the strikeout king of. The baseball for the last few years, when he makes contact, it's usually pretty good. He was playing second and first for the Yankees. They released him. And I guess the big name on the list would be the Yankees finally DFA'd Clint Frazier. I've said I don't think he ever has gotten a legitimate fair chance. So he's a team that's going to give him the shot the way that Oakland is going to give Brent Honeywell a shot. Like, just like playing pitch, time. Like 
Go back just to Pittsburgh, dude. Go day. to yep. go to Arizona. Go oh, Arizona's got some outfielders coming. Like, go find a team where you're just going to get some playing time. Like you said, Colorado. Absolutely. Go to Colorado. Rebuild your life. Go go hit 290 with 25 home runs in that park and get paid. Yes, and get paid and later get a on. qualifying offer that you can That's, reject and make more money. They'll forget to sign it. They'll forget <laughs> to do it. Like they forgot to do it with John Gray. We'll get to him someday, I'm sure too. Should we take a break before we talk CBA? Yeah, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll get a chance to dive into the. Uh, what's being wrestled with? What are the main points of contention? What needs to be resolved for uh, for a deal to go through? Talk about that in just a minute. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Freeze it, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima hula hoops and Pac-Man video games, don't you see people today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds? <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! So we're getting to uh, Corey and, and my favorite subject uh, in Major League Baseball. Our very first podcast was about. Yes. I remember talking it. Collective bargaining yep. agreement. <laughs> uh, it is set to expire in eleven oh, days. Wow. I believe 11 we're at days. eleven days, uh, and it is going to expire. There doesn't seem to be any hope within the those that have a pulse on the day to day of this right now of anything happening at the eleventh hour. But you don't know till the eleventh hour comes. Uh, Never say never when it comes to to uh, Major League Baseball. <laughs> Nothing is surprising anymore, uh, but it sure seems like we're headed for a lockout uh, because of three major areas that need to be resolved. There's, a, there's subsets within it, uh, but let's talk about those major issues. What needs to be done, or what's the point of contention, and where each side are, and then what do we see happening, if anything, that we can look into our crystal ball and say what's a potential framework uh, a piece of this to the puzzle that, that helps put it all together. Let's talk early on for uh, players. Uh, the challenging thing is service time manipulation, right? We've seen this. This is where you get the Super 2 status. How this was resolved before is you had three years of team control uh, where you're making like league minimum. That's what was there. There's some small incentives there for playing time. Uh, NFL has some of that stuff too. Uh, but it was three years of team control and then three years of arbitration. Now, if you played enough in your rookie year, uh, you could get Super 2 status, which meant four years of arbitration versus three. So that was the idea to reward. Now, again, what did teams do? And again, it's mind you, this was the contract that was signed, so it's fair game. And under, under the collective bargaining agreement that was there, that fourth year of arbitration could cost the team 10 to $20 million additional in, uh, in arbitration. Yeah. Or if they wait to call the, per- the player up for two months into the year, then you can get past quote-unquote Super 2 status, and then everything is the way it normally is. So teams uh, being cost-conscious, and it isn't just small market teams. Big market teams have done it across the board. Uh, so with that being the case, players are tired of the, the guy is ready to play, uh, but because of this uh, uh, part of the, the collective bargaining agreement, he's not up getting, uh, getting played, and then also not getting uh, an honest paid. assessment of getting paid. It's, it comes down to like, service time manipulation is a part of player compensation. 
it is just has to do with how you get how quickly you get that big contract, like you mentioned. So I think the the big time when we really saw service mind manipulation is actually back to Chris Bryant. Like that was the big one. I remember the Cubs. I said, I don't remember their, we've, we've heard it a couple times, but it's like, you know, he's not major league ready defensively or whatever. They can find a way. And then you're down for, I think his was only like three weeks, which is why it was a big deal. Cause he'd come up at the end of the last season and it was three weeks and suddenly, Oh, his defense was good enough. And he got called up and went on to win rookie of the year. And then they won the world series with him, but service time, the way you, it has to be written into the new CBA. I believe they're going to try to just remove some of the arbitration completely the way it sounds. And it's instead of having to deal with arbitration, they would like to say you are up. And once you hit a certain number of bet bets, you start getting that the contract hits for, I think four years is what they want now. If that's the way I understood so six it. years of team control is what it's at. Mm-hmm. Now they want to move that to four. Uh, what that says to me is that you have a number in the middle, uh, which is where that's going to be five. They'll shave a year off of this. I think that's the likeliest to come. But there's still is a matter of how is arbitration done? How do you determine what the amount is? Because yeah. also in, in this context, remember the amount that is there, this is still meant to be where you're not paid at free agent rate. Mm-hmm. It's more than what is before. It's a pay increase and a substantial one that is there, but it's not at a free agent rate. Now, players would say they want that to be at free agent rate. You can go year to year with a player and you pay it off their performance. That's what they uh, think that would be a fair way uh, to do that. But also under the current status, even if you have a bad year, you still go up and and pay. mm -hmm. Uh, So there's there's questions from even this status, but yeah. Because MLB, they're... Okay, so it came out that they had a, I think, August proposal about they wanted to have a set amount of money, and then once you reached the service time, you got played based off of Fangraph's war. Like Fangraph's, using advanced stats. Yeah, using the advanced. So if you put together a three-war season, you got a predetermined amount of like money that was already set apart for it, which it, it's, an int- it's in- yeah, creative. That's a good word for it. Like for a, t- uh, a for- league that we have criticized for how – being in rigid the box. they are right like how rigid they are it was an interesting proposal that at least like you said they thought outside of the box money is always going to be the main contention point here so one we'll thing talk about other no things. free agency to like age 31 i think it was 29 and a half 29 and a half, 29 that's, 29 right. And a half. that's right that's right but yeah they, they didn't want that till 29 and a half so that's not gonna happen uh no no so it money is always going to be the main contention in this entire thing because everybody wants to get their in the words of blake's now i got to get paid that's right like um so that will always be the main contention point. That's what you will hear about. That's what's, but this, uh, that's also what's going to force them back to the table. Like that is also what's going to force this deal to get done is guess what? They both want to get paid. And when there is no baseball, neither of them get paid. So it will be the main talking point. It will also be what forces this deal to get done. Part of the money is going to come down to like the competitive balance tax, which is the luxury tax, right? The current CBA contains a luxury tax that the players association does not like they tolerate, let's see it. They signed it. Right. But like, that's the biggest contention point yep. because they are viewing that now as they're calling it salary cap. That's what they are by seeing big market teams, uh, use that as now the excuse to not go above it. Uh, is, is the, that's where now they're, they're saying this is, and has become a salary cap, which we did not want, which is what almost killed the game in 94. Uh, as part of that, I don't know how hard they're going to push, Overall, but they are going to push hard at this one. Uh, and to to be fair, this is where I've seen the best ground from the owner's side uh, to say that, okay, we'll raise it up, but we'll also, 
but uh, even even the top luxury tax, they talked about raising it a little bit, not as much as the players wanted, but say we're going to raise this up, but we're also going to raise up the salary floor. Uh, so this way you have to spend, I think I think it was $100 million, I think, I think it was the, the minimum. Yeah. So right now there are 12 teams this last year that spent less than $100 million, and four of them, like Orioles, Marlins, Indians, Pirates, I'm getting this off of, I think MLB.com I'm on, but we're under $60 million. So that's where they want this floor, right? You have to spend so much. You can't go over, I think the current luxury tax is set at 210 but the Dodgers were up in like the 280 range. And, you know, if, once again, the Dodgers are playing within the legal rules of the game. So we can complain about how the Dodgers buy pennants, but they are, if you can pay it, if you can afford to do that, sure, yep. go for it. Like that is your right, and they're a very good team. So now they spent $50 million more than any team, but that's that's their right. But yes, a luxury, a top level and a bottom level. I think that's where they hope that the players will will budge forward. Is that they say, you know, okay, we will set it high. Not the high won't get as high as you want, but we will set a lower, a higher floor than we've had before. And it's a matter of who do they want to go to the bat for the most. Uh, the reason why yeah. they don't like that is because they, they want the salary uh, uh, cap at the top, the luxury tax, way up because those are the teams that set new records for average annual value. That's the star players. That's what moves the overall within it. And they believe by that moving, you get more. You bump uh, that the raises the, the floor, which gets to the $18 million not being enough for that. So it, it does work. We're, we're seeing that now. But I think that's a short-sighted move for how many more players this will help uh, from getting the, the floor raised up uh, considerably. That's going to get more small and medium-sized salaried players are going to receive more uh, in the end. That could be wrong. I, I on that one, I think you get into inflation on uh, uh, prices of things. Uh, but I, I think that is going to think of how the teams that spend at the top. And think of how many more teams at the bottom. How much more money is generated yeah. into the payroll from that? And so, again, think long-term versus just the only way that you've gone about it to just always go for top average annual value. There's more money to be made here. It's just a matter of what will the players' union do. What will the players' union do about the designated hitter rule? They've actually been like surprisingly quiet, I feel like. The players' union has been on the DH because the DH – it raises the value too, right? Like it's That's 15 you, new you, jobs you get. Yeah. And you get, they get paid well, the DH to go out and bat. So it's widely been speculated that the new agreement will put the designated hitter in both leagues. We saw that last year and the COVID negotiated season that we had, the designated hitter was in both leagues. I think this will happen. I think that like you said it's 15 new jobs. It makes sense. And it saves the pitcher's health. Like pitchers do not practice to be batter. We've seen every year, some major batter or some major pitcher gets injured batting or running. And once again, that you players union, you don't want your pitchers getting hurt doing something that they're not trained to do. Here's again, because baseball just can't get out of their own way. I'm actually more concerned about this one than I, than I mm -hmm. have been to this point. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is everyone's taking this as a, as a foregone conclusion, but, and, and owners are all for it. But they view this as a negotiating chip that, okay, oh, if yeah. we give you this, now we need something in return. Yep. But players are saying, no, this is just what needs to happen. They don't want to give anything in return. Uh, and what's the, the carrot that goes back uh, when they're hard? Owners are going to want something in service time uh, or in, uh, in luxury tax. 
and those are the two work. biggest issues that the the players want more than the DH. So that's not enough incentive to really make them push on that. So that's why it's been quiet. Yeah, uh, is that's not enough for on the basis of the two things to concede anywhere there uh, and get that as the return. You want to get your cash right. Yeah. Whereas your job, you want your cash like. There'll be other things that come up within oh, the yeah. CBA too, like shifting will get mentioned. We've heard the restricting rules the, the rules about. change, uh, using the, the use of pitchers, all that stuff. Roster sizes could become part of the new CBA. All those things are, are possibilities, absolutely. But the ones that we've mentioned will be the ones you hear talked about the most over the next 11 days. And I think at this point, I, I don't expect it to get resolved in the next 11 days. I don't know. I can't speak for you, but I don't think you probably do either. Not, not for those three big issues. Yeah, like so. that. If there was one, I think it could be done, all three. Yeah. And and one last thing, because it, it factors in, because this was done in COVID, uh, but then it was uh, kind of forgotten, and I think there's going to be some animosity from an owner's standpoint, despite they're not uh, needing to re, uh, to do that with uh, not re-upping the, uh, a CBA at that point. They already extended, like, what, that would be 30 new uh, major league jobs when roster size went from 25 to 26? Mm-hmm. Like, they've already given something. Now, it's a, you can Small. call it minor if you want, uh, but with that extra, that's extra jobs, that's extra uh, minors to majors. They're, like They're uh, paying the minor leagues. They, they, the, the owners, for all of the criticism, I can make lay at the owners, and I can lay plenty. Like, yep. recently, the owners have been conceding things that – should have been in place a long time ago, right? They should yep. not. They should have provided the housing for the minor leaguers. That that should have been done. They've done that, right? Correct. So, I can sit and criticize. We're talking billionaires here. Like I can mm-hmm. sit and criticize them a plenty, but I do believe that by the time this is done, <laughs> here's my prediction for it: there will be a salary floor. I don't know if they'll get it to 100 million. It could end up being more like 90 million. I think it's going to be a, a three-year uh, ascension. Versus oh, climbs up jump. 80, 90, so, 100 or something. I think you could be yep. looking at something like that. Yeah, I think there'll be a floor. I think there will be a top. I don't think it'll get as high as the players want it to get to. And, and the, I think the, that's understandable. The surcharge for going above it is going to decrease, but both of those are not going to be at the level that uh, the players' union would like. Uh, and in five years versus six. But see, here's the thing. This is the problem. Owners will give on one of these two issues. They'll give on luxury tax or salary floor, or they'll give on service time and arbitration. If the players' union is hell-bent on saying we're winning in both, there's no deal to be had. So which one are you going to give up? Because you're not going to like this deal, uh, and neither are the owners. That's how this works. You're not getting everything. Nobody's ever happy in these. So these are the two sticking points because there's, there's no way owners are giving up a year of team control without something major in return. That's a huge thing to go from six years to five to get to free agency faster. Uh, that's then you're not getting much in the luxury tax uh, side of it. The, the the talk is that the players' bargaining ship is the international draft right now. Like say a Suzuki is going to get posted tomorrow and teams will bid. If you had an international draft, it would go. From the I assume it would go from the worst to the first. Well, that has been talked about as a possibility. Um, I think that's valued in the same way as the DH is. As far as <laughs> yep. not a big enough it's not, carrot. It's not money, right? Like, Which is it, why we're it, stuck at this spot. It is money because I say Suzuki's going to get paid by someone. That that will happen, but it's not the same. And it's not these 
we're not talking $270 million. Like that's a huge number. And like I said, billionaires, right? Billionaires. And these teams make money. So even the worst of these teams is making no one's poor no. in this sport, but you also don't want to give up too much. And I, I can't blame them either. Like I don't blame the owners. I do not blame the players. You, you want to get what's yours, no but question. you also have to, you mentioned the, the players like negotiating works both ways. You're not going to be happy. If you're both happy, something went like unbelievable. But if you're both upset, that's usually how a negotiation works. Yep. And, and I, again, I think for small market teams, uh, for those that can't afford everything, uh, like six years control is how you keep a competitive window going. You drop that to five, that is going to hurt small market teams more than it will uh, big market teams because they can afford it within it. This is your part of your window. And so I don't see that being a an easily agreed upon thing. Uh, without something in in return. So we'll see what happens. Uh, It's uh, highly unlikely with these big ticket items that are here, it's highly unlikely based upon each side's proposals to this point that an 11th hour deal is made uh, in the next 11, uh, in 11 days. Uh, So we're looking at a lockout. And if that's the case, uh, then at least from our perspective, we will also take a a hiatus. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will be here if baseball is here. And we will be back when baseball is back. So uh, at this point, we will be off for uh, two weeks. uh, And from there, it could extend, again, based upon uh, if there's a lockout, we won't be here. Get it done, baseball. So get it done. We'll be back to to chat baseball. Otherwise, uh, crystal ball expectations, uh, just looking at how I think this is going to go, uh, there's no incentive to get – if it doesn't happen by uh, that – time period in, in early December, it won't happen by the end of the calendar year. People will just uh, bunker in, end of year things going on. Uh, no one has any incentive to, to mess with it at that point. They'll get to the negotiating table by the second week in January and start trying to hammer things out. Uh, you'll hear doom and gloom stories for at least 10 days afterwards. And then finally, all of a sudden, a thaw will hit or all of a sudden one breakthrough happens and it can come together quickly. My guess is we don't have anything until going into the second week of February at the time when pitchers and catchers would normally report, we will have a two-week offseason that will be uh, the craziest offseason in MLB history for the amount of good players that are here and the money that's going to have to run and fast. Uh, It'll be a sport junkie's dream to see all the deals flying through in two weeks' time. Uh, And then you'll have everyone reporting uh, and uh, a shortened spring training, but everything on time for regular season. That's the prediction of where where I think this goes, uh, but we'll see what happens in the coming uh, days and weeks. So, again, we'll be uh, on break here for two weeks. Enjoy your uh, holiday, and and, uh, and then we'll see what baseball does, and we'll keep you posted as we go. If nothing else, maybe we'll do a movie podcast for a while. Yeah, maybe well, we can get together sometime in December and do a pop baseball movie or something. <laughs> yeah, so there's uh, there, there's different things that will come up where, again, we'll we'll touch base at least one point in December on where things That's are. Right. Uh, and uh, if anything, we'll get, uh, like, we, we've talked about wanting to do a, a best baseball movies That's of all right. time. We did our top uh, 10 so, goals. We got to do baseball movies. We'll get so Amanda think, down here. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get some, uh, some expert opinions on this one <laughs> and keep her moving. So with that, have Take a care. wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll see you in, in a few weeks. We're gonna sing a song.